Like Drew said, we are, uh, oh, we can dismiss the kids down to junior church if, if you'd like to go down to do that. Um, today we're beginning this new series. It's going to be a short series and then we're going to jump into the, the book of Galatians. Um, but what I want to talk to you about for first in this, in this lineup of, of hot topics, and of course, <clears throat> the topics that I've, I've picked here, there's probably other hot topics out there that we could have discussed. And so if we don't cover the one that you were hoping that we would during this, I would just invite you to, to fill out one of the cards and have that be one of your questions. And then maybe that's something that we can cover uh, as we work through those weeks. But as we look at hot topics, the first thing that I want to talk about with you for this service or for this series is, is hypocrisy. But before we jump into whatever uh, I have to say or whatever God's word rather has to say about, about hypocrisy, I, I would like to pray. <clears throat> so I would like for you to pray with me. And then also we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23 for our main text this morning. And so you can find your way there. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Oh God of Abraham, you are true and in you there is no error. When you speak, it will be done. When you act, no one can stand in your way. You are faithful to your people even when they are faithless. God, we are often faithless. We claim your name and yet often live in opposition to your will. We recognize and seek to repent from our falseness, our hypocrisy. We ask that you would send us a fresh wind and a, a fresh fire to, to live out our faith authentically in all areas of our life, at all times, always, so that you may receive glory. God, we thank you that you are able and often do work out your plan, even in spite of us. We thank you that you are long-suffering with us and that you have started a work in us that will bring it to completion and that you promise to give us great hope. Therefore, we lift one another to you. We ask that you would heal our sick, save our lost, keep our hearts faithful to you, and help us persevere until the end. Grant us patience and peace as we wait for your glorious appearing, we pray. In your name, amen. So Matthew 23 is where I would like for you to turn <coughs> if you have a copy of God's word. If not, it'll be on the screen in front of you too. But <coughs> um, if Christians really love Jesus, why is there so much hurt in the church? And why is there so much hurt from the church, we might ask. Well, that's a good question. I might pose that as another way, is why should you even go to church? Or maybe why shouldn't you go to church? Because you don't have to look very far to meet someone who's been affected by the church or by church people, right? They've, they've been hurt. And so I would ask you, where have you been hurt by the church? Where have you been hurt by church people? I want to read to you a Barna poll. You guys familiar with Barna and his research? So based on the past studies of those who avoid Christian churches, one of the driving forces behind such behavior is the painful experiences endured within the local church context. In fact, one Barna study among unchurched adults shows that nearly four out of every 10 non-church-going Americans, so that's 37%, said that they avoid churches because of negative past experiences in churches or with church people. And if you're familiar with headlines or if you're kind of in the know, 
you've heard about it. You've heard about sexual abuse. You've heard about infidelity. You've heard about the cover-ups that go along with those things. In churches, you have church leaders that are perpetrators of these things or involved in these things, or if at very least they're involved in covering them up. You've heard about folks embezzling funds. He just wants the best seat in the house, ma. (coughs) You've heard of churches doing outlandish practices, imposing rules and regulations on their members that becomes more cult-like than it does family-like. You've heard of these judgments that these, these red-faced, angry Christians with signs picketing out front of different things or saying things to people. And so how have you been hurt by the church? How have you been hurt by church people? Well, that's what we're talking about is hypocrisy. The definition of that is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs <coughs> to which your own behavior does not conform. In the Greek, as we're going to see, we're going to see this word happen a lot in Matthew 23. In the Greek, this word is pretender, where they're, they're pretending. And what you're going to see is Jesus reserves some of his harshest critiques, some of his biggest rebukes for those who are religious leaders who are actually hypocrites. His words still ring true today, and we ought to listen to them. So as we look at Matthew 23, we're going to see him speaking to his disciples, and yet uh, the word that he is speaking is also to the religious leaders. He says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. So in essence, is what he's saying is these guys know the Bible, so when you come to them with your questions with your concerns. They ought to know the Bible. They ought to be able to explain God's wisdom to you. So listen to what they have to say, but don't live your life like them. Because although they might preach it, they don't practice it. That's what he's saying. And then we see here that these scribes, these Pharisees, they cared about a religion, not a relationship, right? And so we're going to see that here. They do all these deeds to be seen by others. Uh, They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love to place uh, the place of honor at feasts and the the best seats in the synagogues. They they, they want to be greeted in the marketplace, being called rabbi by others. But Jesus tells us this is not how it is supposed to be. So this is what it has become, and maybe in many churches across America, this is what it's become. We, We want to be part of the show, part of the experience but that's not how it's supposed to be. He, he goes on, he says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and call no man your father on earth. For you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So what Jesus is saying here is, We're equals in Christ. Those who humble themselves, uh, serve honorably, should receive honor and will be honored. And then what he's going to do here, and this is the crux of our message this morning, he's going to give them seven woes, okay? So seven woes to these scribes and these Pharisees. And the danger is how many of us are in danger of those same kind of woes? And where can we modernize those to look at them through our current 
worldview, through our current culture, through our current practices, okay? That's the question. So, as we look at the first woe in Matthew 23, 13, this is what it says. I I, I have been through puberty, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's that word pretenders, right? For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So the first point that I take from this, so if you're a note taker, this is your, this is your, your blank. First thing I took from this is hypocrites hinder conversions. They, they get in the way of that. Uh, this is what he says, uh, religious preaching without righteous practice shuts people out of the kingdom. Now I looked this up for this sermon. Somebody said that Gandhi said, I love your Christ, but I, but I don't like your Christians. Gandhi never said that. We don't know who said that. It doesn't really matter who said that. The meaning behind it is what Jesus is talking about here. Now, the way that they would change that is these Gentiles might say, hey, I, I love the idea of your Jewish Messiah. I just hate these, these harsh Jewish customs. And so hypocrites hinder conversions. And so the question for us is, where are we claiming Christ but living Lucifer? It says here that they shut the door in their faces. They don't enter themselves and they don't allow others to go in. And so the other question is, is are we, am I, are you, are we truly saved? Have we truly converted? Have we really converted? We need to give I'm sorry, we can't give that which we don't have. I can't give you a million dollars because I don't have it. Can you share the gospel with somebody if you yourself don't know it? Can you point them to Christ if you don't understand it? Can you give and encourage people in the hope of eternal security when you yourself don't possess it? And of course the answer is no. And so hypocrites hinder conversions They have back then, and they do today. Second woe. Second woe we find just in a new, uh, uh, a few verses down in verse 15 of chapter 23 says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Am I making some of your guys' throats itch? uh, Sorry. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land and make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So again, woe to you, scribes and hypocrites, the pretender part of that. So if you're a note taker, hypocrites keep condemning. This is what it says here. They, they do all they can to make a convert. That's a, that's a proselyte, right? They do all they can to, to win these Gentiles to, to, to Judaism And the moment that they become a Jew, they say, great, welcome to the club. Here's 300,000 laws you now have to keep. So they work hard, basically, to corrupt the converted. They work hard to make all these these, these converts only to place them under a corrupted theology. They, They know the ins and outs of Bible, right? 
at least the Old Testament, because we didn't have the New Testament at this point. They know Moses' law. This is what Jesus will talk about to them in just a little bit. He, they understand that they're supposed to, to tithe, and so they, they strain out the net, but they swallow the camel, right? And so these people are set free from paganism only to be enslaved to the law. Paul says that. He says, I didn't even know what coveting was until the law revealed it to me, and then I found myself guilty of coveting. And so they think that they're setting people free, but instead they're enslaving them. Are we doing that, church? Are we doing that, Christians? You know, there is a, uh, this saying, and I'm probably going to butcher it. I, I apologize for that, but it's, 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 it's basically the idea that, um, you, you know, Jesus loves you right where you are, and you don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. True, absolutely. But it's also true that there's a process of sanctification so that after you come to Jesus, his spirit in us will naturally change us, right? But here's the deal. Are you my Holy Spirit? No. Am I yours? No. Should we encourage one another where we see sin and error? Absolutely. But I can't, I can't come to your house, kick in the door, throw you on the floor, tie you up and hog tie you, and then sanctify you. It doesn't work that way. I can't, what I'm saying is I can't force you to move into Christ-likeness any faster than you're going to move into it. Hypocrites keep condemning. There's no grace. But here's the idea, partly too, is at least they're working hard to make converts. Are we? I mean, how hard are we working at making converts? And when we do, what are we telling them about the Bible and what are we telling them about church tradition? Are we giving them all these laws and these commands that they must keep to continue to follow Christ or are we helping to disciple them in understanding the freedom in Christ, the grace in Christ without, as Paul said, should we continue in sin that that grace may increase by no means. And so where's that area? third woe. Uh, this is going to be in verse 16. This is what it says. Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple he is bound by his oath. You see, hypocrites practice religion. Their swearing in essence makes other people want to cuss. Uh, they encourage evasive vows that are tantamount to lying because they're always looking for theological loopholes. Where are we looking for loopholes? Where are we practicing religion and not practicing relationship? Is it in the way that you handle business? Is it in the way you watch television? Is it in the way you talk to your spouse? Is it in the way you talk to your children? Is it in the way that you deal with your finances? Is it in the way that you, I don't know. As Christians, we cannot be okay with half-truths, living in the gray area or looking for these loopholes. 
What I'm saying is, is there is not and therefore should not be any kind of a disconnect between who we claim to be on Sunday morning and who we actually are Monday through Saturday. But for these hypocrites, there was. This is, this is the age-old thing with like, yeah, let, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and then, you know, why swear, why pinky promise, or oh, well, joke's on you, my fingers were crossed kind of thing. That's what they're doing here. Oh, I didn't swear, I, I swear by the, by the gold on the temple, not by the temple itself. And so if I just swear by the temple, well, it's, that's not really it. I swear by the gold. That's a theological loophole. They're practicing religion instead of relationship because if they had a relationship, they would know that they don't even need to swear. That the God of the universe has given them the truth that they are to be men of integrity. We are to be a people of integrity. Our yes is to be yes. Our no is to be no. And that's all that there is to it. Fourth woe. Uh, This is going to be in verse 23. Fourth woe says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you pretenders, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so you see, hypocrites neglect repentance. Their pocketbooks are open, but their hearts are closed. So many people involved, uh, so many people believe that their involvement in church ends at the offering plate. That that is their responsibility. And if they fulfilled that responsibility, then their relationship with the church is is done. And some don't even do that regularly. But do you remember the story about the poor widow's mite? It wasn't about how much she gave. It was about her heart behind it. What Jesus wants is our hearts. What he wants is our lives. What, I mean, here's the bottom line. When, when, and I, if this is news to you, when you come to Christ, you have come to die. You've come to die to yourself, to your desires, to your plan, to your will, when you come to Jesus, you come to give him not just your your time or your finances or your your education. You you come to give him everything. I mean, everything. There's no secret closet in the door of your soul that you get to keep stuff in and you hold the key away from Christ. These neglect repentance. They were concerned about uh, the law, and yet they did not practice justice and mercy and faithfulness. There was no heart change. Now the fifth and the sixth woes we're going to take together because of their proximity to one another and and how I I think those go together, okay? So those are going to be in verses 25 and 27. Uh, Those are the fifth and sixth woes. Verse 25, first, and then 27, this is what the word of God says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. 
Verse 27, what do you scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Now, I don't know if you knew this. You probably don't. I didn't either, okay? I was reading about this. Uh, Part of the reason they would whitewash these tombs is to make them very clear and very obvious. And you're like, well, okay, that makes sense, but why, right? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you touch a tomb... In Old Testament legal ritualistic behavior, if you touch a tomb, you're unclean and you cannot enter into the, the, the synagogue. You can't enter into the temple for an allotted period of days, right? So the point of whitewashing these tombs, here, here's, here's Jesus' point. The point of whitewashing these tombs was not to actually honor the dead that are buried there, to honor those those prophets or, or any of those, their family members, it wasn't to honor them at all. Because one would think, oh, you're whitewashing these tombs to, to do the upkeep. No, they're whitewashing them so that as they walk through these areas at night, they don't actually accidentally touch them or stumble over them because they want to keep themselves clean. Does this make sense? And so what he's saying here, this is the fifth and sixth woe are all about Hypocrites who emphasize the external. They've cleaned up their act, but they're not acting the part. We have, we have today, around the globe, we have multi-million dollar buildings that house thousands of people at a time. I once went to a church um, in Kentucky when I was down there. I won't tell you the name of the church because that doesn't matter. But I went to this church that uh, had, it was so big. It, um, the, the locals, so I, just side note, this is free. You ready? So I, I, I worked at a hospital when I was down there to help uh, pay for the seminary cost as one of the jobs that I had when I was down there. Uh, one of the guys who worked in the area with me, uh, he was brought up in a, in a Catholic background, uh, but because I was in seminary, we were always talking about different stuff with whoever wanted to talk to me. I was, I was always open to talk with him. He asked me where I lived, because, you know, getting to know people or whatever, and uh, I, I told him where I lived, and he says, oh, you live next to such and such church. <clears throat> or, I, or I said, oh, I, I live next to such and such church. He says, oh, you mean Six Flags over Jesus. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, that's what I call it because it's, it's, so, it's like an amusement park. It was so big that when you would park, they would, have, they, would have, they would have these trolleys to pick you up if you were far enough away in the parking lot. They'd send these men on carts to pick you up and drive you into where the service was because that's how big it was. They had not just one escalator. They had several banks of escalators to get up to the top. I, I, I told my wife one time I wanted to go. I'm not a huge fan of heights. We went in. I told her, I said, I want to go up to the top. I want to sit up at the top and sit up there. And we sat up there, and I had to leave. I said, I feel sick to my stomach being up here. We've got to, we've got to go back down to some other place. Uh, they had one of these shows where, do you guys remember Bear Grylls? They had Bear Grylls belay. You know what belaying is? Rope, rope slide, basically, from the ceiling. They had them rope slide in from the ceiling down onto the stage during one of their Sunday services. This is ridiculous. We have emphasized the external. 
We have multi-million dollar beautiful buildings where we pump in smoke and lights and lasers and all kinds of stuff. And people are more concerned about the fashion and the kind of watch the pastor is wearing than if he's even handling the word of God good. We wear our Sunday best and put on programs and pageantry while there's gossip and gluttony and pornography and bitterness and backbiting. When we die and we stand before God, he will not ask us if we were a member of a local church. He will not ask us how often we attend. He will not ask us how much we gave. First of all, he won't ask you because he won't need to ask any of those things. But also, all of those things are external actions. Hypocrites emphasize the external. Seventh woe. Seventh woe is in 29 through 31. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves, and you, that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. So lastly, hypocrites eliminate accountability. Their fathers had rejected the prophets, and they're going to reject Christ. They don't want anyone sticking their nose in any of their business. They don't want to hear from Jesus that he has any kind of constructive criticism or any kind of criticism at all for them. They are not to be held accountable to anyone, and you know why? Because they are above accountability, so they say. They say that they honor them, but it was all of them who taught about Jesus. And shortly they are going to denounce him and ask for his crucifixion. We say that we stand on the word of God. But often only the parts we like. Only the parts that make us happy or other people happy. Or often at churches, often we preach only the parts that are going to make our, our coffers grow and fill our pews. Now, moving on from Matthew. As we talk about hypocrisy, I've got good news and bad news. Here's some bad news. My wife hates it when I do that. She's like, just tell me. So here you are. It doesn't stop here. I wish I could tell you it stopped in Matthew 23 and then that was it. But as you're going to see, in the book of Galatians, they battle with legalism. In Colossians, they're teaching heresy. In 2 Timothy, there's leadership tensions. In Philippians, there's conflict over selfish ambition within the church. In First and Second Corinthians, it's pride and arrogance. And in Revelation 2 and 3, there's letters to the churches, and most of them aren't so great. So church malfunction and dysfunction is not a new thing. And it won't end with us here at ABC, and it won't end in 2023, unless Jesus returns, and then it's done. So what do you get when you put a group of sinners together for a period of time? You get sin. So if Christians really love Jesus, why is there so much hurt in the church? Why is there so much hypocrisy? Because the church is full of sinners. So if you were ever hurt 
by the church or by somebody in the church. I beg you to understand that they are not Jesus. Jesus did not hurt you. Jesus died for you. And whether you like it or not, Jesus died for that person who hurt you too. So here's why you shouldn't go to church. You ready? You shouldn't go to church if you equate Jesus, the Christ, with those who claim to be Christians. You shouldn't go to church if you expect everyone there to be perfect. You shouldn't go to church if you think everyone there is going to like you, to serve you, or to cater to your needs. You should not go to church if you think that church is about what you get rather than what you bring. You shouldn't go to church if you are unwilling to see past the people who are in the building to the Christ whom you should be there to worship. You know, Matthew 13, 24 through 30 has a parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while this man was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. The servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in the field? How does it have weeds? So he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Do you know what he's saying with this? He's saying, brother or sister, this. Welcome to a hypocritical church. Because all of us, all of us are struggling through this. Now, also what you may not know, and because of, you may, if you're in the farming community, these, these wheat and these weeds, we're not talking about like grass and dandelions where you can just look out and you're like, oh, that's obviously a dandelion. That's obviously grass, right? It's not like that what these look like when they both come up before they have, before they have ripened, before they turn brown, you know, and they dry out when you actually harvest wheat, when they first are coming up and they're starting to have ears, they look almost identical. You, you, you can't tell the difference. That's, that's the point here. So why should you go to church? Well, you should go to church because you truly love God, his word, and the gospel because it's the best place to be discipled, to be held accountable, and to grow in your spiritual maturity. Uh, you should go to church because the Holy Word of God assumes that this is the way we live out our faith in Christ. Now, that being said, I want to ask, as, we, as I look out at this field, are you a practicing pretender? Are you a masquerading member? Are you a counterfeit convert? Because Jesus confronted hypocrisy in our text today. And this is how he ends with what he says about it. You superants, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? 
And then on the parable, we see that too, that you may look the part, you may grow up right alongside the rest of the wheat, but there is a real danger there. And so my, my message to any of your family or friends or to yourself, if you have been hurt by the church or a church member is this, you haven't been hurt by Jesus, you've been hurt by a sinner. And you can, with a gracious, forgiving heart, the way that he forgave you, you can give that over to the Lord If they claim to be Christ, then practice a biblical discipline of Matthew 18 where you go to them and you reveal that sin to them and you ask for them to repent from that. And then if that doesn't work, you continue to take it through that chain. But in the meantime, the church is going to be full of hypocrites because all of us are being sanctified. I can't kick in your door, tie you up, throw you on the floor and sanctify you and you can't do that to me. And there are times I wish you could And there are times I wish I could. Do we fail to practice what we preach? Jesus hates hypocrisy. Jesus says that hypocrisy will send us to hell. So only when we stop pretending that the church is perfect can we actually invite Jesus in to conform us more and more like his image. So this is not a perfect church. I am not a perfect pastor. You are not perfect people, but we have a perfect savior. One who will not leave us or forsake us. One can, who can work with us and who will work through us as we look at these hot topics. And so the way I would like to close this is, is, is this, twofold. One, if you have a friend, a family member, or you yourself have been hurt by the church or a church person, I would ask that you would share this truth with them that you would go to them and that you would try to to lovingly explain that Jesus didn't do these things, that Jesus hates hypocrisy even more, believe it or not, even more than they do, and that Jesus sees the damage and the hurt and he weeps over that and he cares for that, as we're going to talk about in another message about why there's evil in the world. Secondly, though, assuming the best of you, assuming that you love the Lord, that you want to serve the Lord, that you want to be a healthy church, that you want to be a faithful and growing Christian, I would ask, do any of these things that that, uh, Jesus just accused the scribes and the Pharisees of, those seven that you just wrote down, are, are six, are any of those ones that we also need to repent from and keep in mind? Because I know some of them are for me. So let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you were in the